the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. We are delighted you are joining us on New Year's Eve and we are wishing all of you a wonderful, safe evening as well as a blessed beginning to 2023. And we have a fantastic guest joining us tonight for New Year's Eve. Larry, who do we have on the line? Eric Metaxas is the host of the nationally syndicated radio program, the Eric Metaxas Radio Show, heard in more than 120 cities around the United States, and a number one New York Times bestselling author of such books as Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther. Well, we have him as our guest today to discuss his brand new book, Letter to the American Church, that takes a to task the American church and its strange silence in the face of what even a non-religious person would say is a nationwide cultural and moral meltdown. Thank you, Eric, for joining us on New Year's Eve. Thanks for having me. Eric, you know, I would love, we're going to talk about your new book, and I am just just so enamored at these New York Times number one best-selling authors. I mean, God bless you for what you do and for what you write. Before we talk about your new book, though, I have to say, I understand you have quite an eclectic career as a writer, having written for Veggie Tales, Chuck Colson, and the New York Times, three things not usually found in the same sentence. You know, do you think that variety of writing experience that you have has really helped you mold really your writing styles and tenor and content and everything else into the prolific writer you are today? Well, it's interesting because I think it's probably the opposite. In other words, I think that the way God made me, uh, I've learned to accept it, that I like to do a dramatic variety of things. And so a lot of times people are confused by me because I think, well, he's the guy who wrote that serious biography on Bonhoeffer or the serious biography on Wilberforce or Martin Luther. And then other people see me um, joking around a lot or they listen to my radio program where we do a lot of comedy and it, and they, they get confused. And I think I, I, at some point in life, you just kind of accept who you are and you say, I'm just going to go with it because I genuinely enjoy different types of things, different genres, different kinds of books that I have written. I've written 30 children's books. I work for Veggie Tales. I mean, I've been all over the map. And so, you know, I just say to my friends, just go to my website, ericmetaxas.com, and you can see the various sides of me because, you know, um, I, I just do what I think I'm supposed to do. But over the years, as you look back, you realize it's kind of a strange and wide variety of, uh, of, of things that I've done, but I, I genuinely enjoy it. 
Eric, I was fascinated when I heard about your new book, Letter to the American Church. As we watch the moral freefall of our nation nightly on the news, many of us ask ourselves, where are all the Christians? Do you think it's God's will that his children be silent at a time like this? Um, the book Letter to the American Church is the shortest book I've ever written. It's definitely serious. Uh, there's no joking. Most of my books have some humor in them. But this is um, – I'll be blunt. Uh, I wrote a book about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the longest book I ever wrote, uh, which tells the story – of how the German church in the 1930s was silent in the face of evil. Uh, a lot of good people, a lot of good pastors got this idea in their head that we're not supposed to talk about political things. We're not supposed to talk about the government. We're not supposed to talk about the culture. We're just going to stick to, quote, unquote, the gospel. Well, that's theological nonsense. That's not what the Bible says. But they got this idea in their head, and they remained silent as the Nazis gained power um, until it was too late. And then when they realized we should have spoken up, if we knew where this was going, we would have spoken up. By then it was too late. And the nightmare that unfolded, we all now know. It's a nightmare of unprecedented proportions. And and it's clear, if you know the Bonhoeffer story, if you've read my Bonhoeffer book, it's clear that it is the fault of the church. The church had the power in that culture to speak truth. And I'll go farther. God calls his people. If you say you're a Christian, God calls you, commands you to speak truth in the face of evil, to speak up for those who have no voice, to speak against injustice and corruption. So I wrote that book. And then recently, uh, as I've seen things in this country develop, I said, exactly, exactly the same thing is happening in America. The American church has decided, and when I say the American church, I'm talking about most of the church, uh, many evangelical churches, but every kind of church, they've kind of said, you know what, we don't want to go there. We don't want to get involved in criticizing the government. We don't want to appear political. And I realize it's the same error that the German church made because there comes a time when evil is so clear that for you to pretend that you can avoid it, that you can be neutral, you've got to be crazy. If the Democratic Party was represented by Tip O'Neill, Maybe you can avoid politics. But when the Democratic Party is basically being led by, you know, atheistic Marxists who are trying to impose genuinely godless values on all of America, most Americans are not on board with transgender madness, uh, with open borders, with forced vaccines, whatever it is, with, with corruption, with deep state corruption and election confusion and election, all of this stuff. Most Americans are not on board with. And so we have a small, uh, you know, globalist elites who've decided we now have the power to shut up those who disagree with us. And um, so the question is, will the church speak? And the church has been largely silent. And we are where we are now in free fall, in this nightmare, specifically because the American church is being exactly as silent and using the same excuses as the German church used. So I wrote the book Letter to the American Church to help explain to people that we are exactly where the German church was. They blew it. They didn't listen to the prophetic voices of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others. And by the time they woke up, it was too late. Will the American church listen to what Bonhoeffer had to say today? If we don't, the fall will continue. 
I don't believe, to finally answer your question, that it is God's will that this nation go down the tubes. I do not believe that. And there are a lot of Christians that have a fatalistic, cynical attitude, and they go like, oh, we're being judged. It's over. That's not for you to decide. It's for God to decide. It's for you to fight and to speak against evil and to do everything you possibly can do. And I believe I make that case in this book. You know, Eric, I love the point you're making, and I love your passion for really tackling the hot-button issues, some of the most provocative issues facing society today. Um, as a fellow evangelical, I would love to know how, how we can find the type of common ground we need to increase receptivity to other people listening to, to some of these arguments, considering other perspectives, other points of view, whether or not there's value in simply following the crowd right off a cliff, as we often say. Yeah. And I wonder if you had any ideas as to how we can bridge that gap and, and maybe get some people to actually think, you know, maybe maybe Eric has something that my family and I should listen to. Well, I mean, Wendy, that's literally why I wrote the book. I said, I'm going to write a book to try to reach the people who can be reached because there are people who can't be reached. There are people who are adamantine in their opposition to anything uh, anyone says, uh, whoever voted for Trump or whoever says I'm a conservative or whoever says I'm a conservative evangelical. You have to forget about those people and you have to try to talk to the people who have ears to hear. And so I wrote this book in a way, not uh, in accusatory way, but in a, in a in a moderate Pacific tone, hoping to reach those who can be reached. And I say to people, give this book to your pastor. If your pastor is avoiding this stuff, give this book to your pastor, because I try to make the case, as I say, in a way that's not trying to push people away. It's trying to invite them in, trying to make the biblical case. Here's what happened in the past. Here's what the Bible says. When people counsel you to be silent, only talk about the gospel, that's not biblical. And you need to know it's not biblical. Uh, if it's not biblical, by the way, guess what it is? It's from the pit of hell. It's designed to silence God's voice through his people. It's going to bring harm to many people. So we, we simply have to do our best. And I tell people, if your pastor doesn't respond to my book, which I've written as lovingly as I could and as biblically as I could, find another church. Find a church because there are plenty across this country where they're not afraid to talk about these things. And by the way, those churches are growing in number, and the churches that are trying not to be political are having trouble keeping their doors open. Very interesting. That, that's great. It, it is such a great book. So the way I, would, would this be, you think, approaching pastors with your book, for example, to get them to kind of get more with the issues and start talking? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. and, I don't, and again, I don't think that people should say, you need to read this or be angry. Just lovingly give it to them and say, would you please consider, consider this? I think you'll enjoy this. And I think many pastors will. I think a lot of good people out there, they've simply not encountered what I'm saying in this book. And when they encounter it and they see it, I think a lot of them will say, you know what? Holy cow, I, I missed this. I, we need to wake up. We need to be, we need to get this right. I, I really do believe there are enough Christian leaders in this country who are willing to do the right thing, but we have to reach them. And it, again, it's literally why I wrote the book, uh, Letter to the American Church, to reach those who can still be reached. Eric, we got just less than a minute. Um, what is your website? Where can people find you the easiest? Yeah, everything about me you can find at ericmetaxas.com. The challenge is spelling it. Uh, Eric Metaxas, M-E-T-A-X-A-S, ericmetaxas.com. Uh, you can find my my daily radio program is there, the podcast. I do a thing called Socrates in the City 
all my books, uh, a number of the things that I've written, some videos and, and my testimony. But it's just all uh, at ericmetaxas.com. I hope folks will go there and sign up for my newsletter. And I'm grateful for this opportunity. Thank so you for joining you. us. Socrates in the city. You heard it first here. All right, folks. We need to take a short commercial break. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to our New Year's Eve edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. So as we... Considered content for this evening. Uh, earlier in the week, we were sure that it was going to be about Southwest and the airline closures and cancellations and delays and where's my bag. But then actually, the winter storms uh, gave us an idea as to perhaps another angle to take. You know, there are some who have done it all, been everywhere, done everything that one could possibly do on New Year's Eve. Those are usually the people that are, let's say, over 50. Um, They call it amateur night. I'm sure that's not what they called it when they were 21. But a lot of people this year, Larry, are really looking forward. This is at least the word on the street, and especially if you live on the East Coast of the Midwest, looking forward to enjoying time inside. In other words, they're not going to large street fairs or waiting to get into Times Square where, remember, you can't get out for, what is it, like 48 hours before and after the, or before the ball drop, you have to just get in there and wait. But they're actually looking forward to making dinner, cooking, sitting be, you know, in front of the fire with a cup of hot chocolate, playing board games for those of us old enough to remember those. Um, And, you know, a lot of people are looking for a staycation this New Year's Eve, which, by the way, keeps everybody off the road, which I always think is a good thing as well. But Larry, you've actually um, kicked it into high gear here and found that There are different New Year's traditions depending on where you live. What did you find? Right. Well, just sticking with the U.S. for a while, of course, I think so many people, and I try to always watch that uh, ball drop, even though we're in the Pacific Coast, Pacific time zone, so basically it's already happened. You go to bed early, Larry. You watch it at 9 p.m. because you go to bed early. (laughs) Well, I I make exception for New Year's Eve, Uh, but, you know, they say there's like up to 2 million people in that whole area, which is just, I can't even imagine how you could get that many people um, in Manhattan uh, to to experience that. And and then they always play that uh, old Lang Lang Syne story. which is a great uh, tune. It was written by Robert Burns in 1788. It was a poem, and it was based on an older Scottish folk song. Well, that is still being played every New Year's Eve as soon as the uh, ball drops. And it was made famous by a band leader in 1929 called Guy Lombardo. That goes right. way back. He had the Royal Canadians. That was his that band. before your time, Larry. <laughs> right. I I read about it in the history book. You can do a lot on the internet. Yeah, I know that definitely was before my time. You know, one thing we always try to do on New Year's Eve is we think through our resolutions. And, um, you know, we most people have the same ones, right? Eat less, exercise more, join a gym, be nicer. 
be kind, stay off your device when you, I mean, they're on and on. And, you know, one of the most interesting things I think statistically about New Year's resolutions is they only last for about, what is it, a week or two. Yes. But, you know, one New Year's resolution that many of us busy people make every year is, as funny as it sounds, um, just say no. When somebody asks you to do something and you're already stretched too thin, you're not seeing your kids, you're not, you know, you're behind at work, just say no. Because some people just can't say no. Yes. They put so much on their plate. I mean, you would think it's like a Thanksgiving feast. They just, I mean, one more, you know, what's one more serving of this or that or the other? Is, is that still a thing in terms of New Year's resolutions? And if so, I mean, are there other sort of out-of-the-box suggestions as to some ways people can vow to improve their lives in 2023 that wouldn't necessarily be on the New Year's Eve shortlist? Well, I would say this is, I don't think it's on a whole lot of lists, but it should be read, read your Bible in a year, just like take a chapter a day, see if you can get through it in a year. And if you don't get through it in a year, then just whatever time it takes, just a good idea there. But is why not just start with Proverbs? I mean, there's 31 chapters, there's 31 days in January. I mean, at the very least, if you read one proverb a day, you will end the month being wiser for it, regardless of what your religion is. I mean, whether you're an atheist, whether you're agnostic or whatever religion you belong to, there is just so much wisdom in that one book. How hard is that? Oh, I I know it. Absolutely. And what's interesting too, for me, for me, like if I'll be up late that night, I like to watch the, uh, the after parties where they have all these bands, like they have the Dick Clark's new year's rock and Eve, and they have some really great guests, uh, Duran Duran that goes back a ways, but they're a really famous group out of uh, great Britain among other guests. And and that will be on ABC, I believe, with uh, Ryan Seacrest. And then on Miley, uh, Miley's New Year Eve party, and this all starts at um, 8 p.m. Pacific. And uh, you can adjust uh, if you're in a different time zone. And then uh, CBS has their Nashville's Big Bash, a lot of country western uh, bands. And uh, But what's, I think this is interesting, Wendy. I, I went to, to what are the traditions in Mexico? And... Uh, one of the really funny ones is eating 12 grapes. You wait till midnight and you eat 12 grapes and you can make a wish on each one of those 12 grapes rec- representing each month of the year. And hopefully you won't get a sour grape during that time. And you have to eat it in 60, <laughs> 60 seconds. So beginning midnight, you have 60 seconds. Uh, I've never tried that, but it sounds like a fun tradition. Can you juice them? In other words, you just toss all 12 grapes in a blender and juice them up and drink them down? I think that's, well, cheating. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you can do that. But, um, well, there's a hack for everything, but you're right. That, that's absolutely not fair. Did you, did you find a couple other fun ones? Yeah, well, th- well there's one. Um, uh, I, I guess we can talk about this. Uh, well, this is a fun one. This, I'll talk about this. It's pack your bags. I had been told a long time ago, I think it was by my mother, you know, what you do on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, you'll be doing the rest of the year. So they have this tradition in Mexico called pack your bags. So if you're a travel freak, what you can do is you pack your bags on New Year's Day, you know, with everything, with clothes and everything. And even though you're not going to go anywhere on that day, you will be traveling a lot that year. So I thought that was a really cool tradition. It literally is a pack your bags tradition in Mexico. 
You know, we could we could have worked that one into the Southwest Airlines story because nobody would, could get nobody could find their bags. I gave this long recitation on, you know, photograph everything in your suitcase so you can prove it up that they lose it. Take a picture of your bag so you can uh, allow the bag handlers to find it quicker. But this pack your bags for for a trip around the world, I would say, you know, you want to make sure that you carry that on the flight if you are going to do that. I mean, Larry, I think I've shared with you. I'm a very good packer. I'll do a segment on that one time. I haven't checked a bag in 30 years, so I don't need to worry where my my valuables, my power cords, my medication, or anything else I'm carrying with me is. So that's that's one thing that uh, might not work with this approach. But Larry, you even found a, a New Year's Eve tradition on colorful underwear. Yeah, this is this is from Mexico too. Uh, New Year's superstition of Mexico also is the tradition of wearing colorful underwear. I mean, that could be your undershirt too. You know, it could be whatever. Uh, if you're looking to find love in the new year, they recommend you wear red. Uh, how about the color yellow? What do you think that that's for if you wear yellow uh, undergarments? Surprisingly, I know that it's for money or success where I would have thought that would have been green. I know it. I know it. Me too. Uh, white. You wear white, which is if you're looking for peace in the new year. Uh, you wear black if you're looking for, I guess, uh, you want to be respected, dignity in the new year. Uh, green. Now, we are to the color green. What would that represent? Well, I know it represents good health, but yes. I hate to say, you know, some people might think it represents... Um, Many other things, uh, shall we say. Greed is just associated with, with so many different stereotypes. But I think it's interesting that it's a very positive one here. Right. And then uh, for wisdom, uh, there's one for wisdom. What color do you think that would be? I know it's my favorite color, uh, orange, because in my old age, I've gotten nostalgic. And I'm buying 70s gear and clothing and everything is orange. Remember those days, Larry? Your shag carpet was orange. The lamps were orange. The vases were orange. The... <laughs> front of your house was orange i mean my goodness but i do understand here orange underwear on new year's eve i suppose um gives you wisdom or means that you hope to have wisdom in the new year i know i, I don't even know where you go to buy something like that probably the internet i guess but uh, this is buy everything else larry amazon or the internet you write something else now i also understand there's a place that you wear polka dots right yeah that's that's in the philippines so uh in the philippines uh if that's on your travel bucket list, be prepared to see people wearing polka dotted get ups. And that's because wearing polka dots on New Year's Eve is thought to guarantee good luck and wealth in the coming year. So in the Philippines, round shapes represent prosperity. Uh, for example, coins are shaped, they're round, right? So just like polka dots. So with this in mind, people surround themselves with round things as the new year approaches from eating round fruits like oranges to more literal representations like carrying pockets full of coins. <laughs> You know, when I read that, Larry, I just thought, I hope to God that is not something that is well known to, to thieves and pickpockets, because we certainly don't want people carrying pockets of coins, unless, of course, it's monopoly money or something else where we don't have to worry about it. But I just think that's that's fascinating. You know, part of uh, the New Year's Eve celebration for a lot of people, in fact, I would almost say for everyone, I don't know whether how you can get out of this unless you live in the country somewhere, is fireworks. Yes. You know, it's the funny thing about New Year's is even people that go to bed early, maybe they watch Lawrence Welk, they toast in the New Year, which, by the way, I think is a great idea. Lawrence Welk was such an innocent part of our, our past and our heritage. They go to bed early, you know, they, they clink their champagne flutes 
at nine o'clock, watch the ball drop, watch the some of the after party. But then there they are up again at midnight because the fireworks start and they don't stop sometimes all night, Larry. Yeah, it's a. Uh... If you go to the right place, you can see amazing views. Bring your pets inside. Oh, bring your pets inside for sure. Yeah, the poor, the poor things. Yeah, it hurts their ears, I think, and scares them. But yes, I agree. Uh, and uh, there's well, the, you know, go ahead. I, I think as we end the show, um, really, what we've tried to to impart is, you know, there are so many different varieties of things people do on New Year's Eve. But I think the, what the commonality is. You know, spending time with loved ones is priceless. And it almost doesn't matter where you are, what you do, where you go, whether you go out, stay in. Um, That is what life is all about. That's what New Year's is all about. And hey, you know what? Dust off those Bibles to start reading Proverbs at midnight, right? Start with number one. (laughs) Drive safely tonight, folks. Drive safely. Please be safe tonight. Uh, We want to wish everybody a wonderful New Year's. And we will see you next week. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.